Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Good to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Rahul Arora. Rahul is an amazing guy who's created an amazing company based in India, but taking over the world. So before we get into it, Rahul, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you along. Now, I've interviewed many you know, best-selling authors, tech founders, consultancies, public speakers, etc. I don't think I've ever had a TV star in before. This is amazing. It's too kind of you to call me a TV star. <laughs> so yeah, Rahul is co-founder and CEO of interview.io, which is spelled interview with a V-U-E.io, which provides on-demand interviews, which is a fascinating area. Personally, I find that the world of recruitment technology is quite saturated in terms of online assessments and all sorts of things, but I find the interviews a very different angle to take. So maybe Rahul, do you want to just give us a quick snapshot of what exactly is interview.io? So Ben, interview.io is an on-demand interviews platform. What we do is, let's say any company is hiring, they put a job post online, they get about 500 or 1000 applicants. Generally, companies waste a lot of their bandwidth into screening those applicants. And normally screening usually takes months. And that is where, you know, the hiring is completely delayed. What we do is we go to the company, we say, give all those candidates to us. We will technically interview them within a few hours. After that, we'll tell you who are the top 5% performing candidates and you should just take the final rounds and go ahead with the offer letter. This adds two things on the table. One is we are able to accelerate their hiring significantly because they don't have to interview so many candidates. Second is we are able to save them a lot of engineering and recruiting hours that they you know, generally utilized into screening those candidates at the first place. So yeah, I mean, that's what interview does in a nutshell. And these interviews are taken by technical experts from other companies. So I'll give you an example. Let's say Google is hiring. So we'll get the meta engineers to interview. And these engineers get paid for every interview that they take. Are there any issues of confidentiality? I mean, giving away secrets from current employers or anything like that? I mean, not really, because if you see, this is the safest form of freelance. Freelance by nature of the product itself has existed since early 2000s, I would say, at least online. And if you see... Here, an expert is coming in, just taking an interview round basis, whatever they know, and they're not leaking anything proprietary about the company in the interview round. So it's the safest form of freelance. That's how I'll put it. Now, there's a few different ways that the platform works. So there's straight up interviews, but then there are a few other different approaches, right? So you've got partnered coding and so on. Can you tell us about some of the variants? There's a coding environment where, you know, interviewer and the candidate, they can engage in live coding environment. It's just like Google Docs, but for programming. So both the interviewer and the candidate can see simultaneously whatever they're typing. There are built-in compilers for more than 50 plus programming languages. There's a built-in video call. And apart from that, there are anti-cheating proctored controls. We like to call it that. Where if the candidate is switching to another tab in the middle of the interview, etc. The interviewer is nudged that the candidate is not active on interview. They might be trying to cheat, etc. Mm -hmm. And if they try to copy anything from anywhere, if not allowed during the interview, the interviewer is again nudged. A lot of candidates, especially in the emergency, they try to fool the system by lip syncing and they have a friend of them helping them drag <laughs> the interview around. The platform catches hold of that as well. So wow. pretty much all of these functionalities baked in and all the, these rounds are also recorded. 
And from my perspective, when dealing with companies, whether they be tech firms or consultancies, I'm often saying to look at the use cases on how people might use your product or consulting service and so on. And you guys have done that. You've gone to a lot of effort to think about the different use cases, including, for instance, diversity and inclusion and stuff. So can you give us a few of those use cases that might explain how people would use interview.io? Yeah, I'll start with diversity and inclusion itself. Interview is a bias-free way to interview. To that end, what we do is the personal information of both the candidate and the interviewer are hidden from both the parties. The interviewer don't know who the candidate is. They don't know which company are they interviewing for. We don't even share the resume of the candidate with the interviewer. It sounds a bit weird, but the way interview happens is there are technical parameters that are selected by the person who requests an interview, in this case, an HR. Let's say it's a front-end interview round on happening on JavaScript. There'll be some technical parameters that the HR would select. And after selecting those technical parameters, the interviewer would be shown a list of those parameters and they all they have to validate is whether the candidate is good or bad with those parameters. So it doesn't matter what gender it is. It doesn't matter what company they're coming from. It doesn't matter what race, what background. Nothing matters. What matters is only the technical know-how. So it's completely bias-free and it does help with diversity and inclusion there. Secondly, you know, a lot of consulting companies' use cases are also covered. Of course, we, you know, deal with a lot of product-based enterprises, IT services companies as well. But a lot of IT consulting firms where they have to submit candidature to their end customer, their turnaround time is pretty important. And they need to make sure within a particular frame or time frame, they basically vet the candidate and then submit the candidature. So on interview, everything is so fast that, you know, we are able to not only process the application, we are able to get the interview done and submit the report back to the IT consulting firm in this case, in the shortest amount of time possible so that, you know, their business is unaffected. That's very good. Yeah. So that reduces the bottleneck and gets the whole process moving. What does the candidate and the interviewer see when they, I don't know, log into the platform? Just like how you and I are talking on a video call, Uh they will see each other. Sometimes they can switch on their cams, switch off their cams, depending on what the organization has mandated for them. Both the options, it's configured. If the org does not want it, it's okay. They can keep it off. But there's a screenshot that we take both for the interviewer and the candidate before they join a call, which is shown individually to the employer so that they know the right people took the interview round. Now, they see a coding environment on the background, which is running, and they see each other in the video, of course. And then they can see a drawing board. They can collaborate on the coding environment, draw on the drawing board, and that's how it is. They can even share their screen. So that's how it is. And on the other side, the interviewer is able to see a huge feedback form, which is nothing but a reflection of whatever parameters, technical parameters are chosen by the HR who requested the interview round. So in this case, the interviewer would go to every technical parameter, gauge the candidate on those technical parameters by asking them hands-on questions fill the feedback, and at the end of the day, give the verdict. Got it. Now, for people listening to this, who would be your ideal customers, either to refer business or maybe they're listening and they are in a company that could use the firm? Who are the ideal customers? There are a bunch of them today. I would start with people who are, let's say, setting up engineering teams, but they don't have enough engineers to interview, or they do have enough engineers to interview, but they don't want their engineering productivity to be hampered by interviews. This is one set of customers. Second customers are they want to accelerate their hiring. So they are looking to ramp up pretty fast. I've seen a lot of companies opening their new offices, setting up their new offices in other countries beyond borders. And that is where, you know, interview comes in handy, where we can literally take 500 to 1000 interviews in a single day. We can accelerate their hiring. It is IT staffing companies where they might have an RPO or ID staffing companies who are looking to, you know, serve a fussy client who's really fussy about the quality of the candidate. So they want to now give a vetted candidate instead of just taking a phone screen round, which is generally taken by a non-technical recruiter. Yep. So in this case, we can actually take the candidate through a technical interview round 
can be assured about the quality of the candidate. So these are the type of strong use cases that we have. Apart from that, we get to see a lot of coding schools which teach candidates how to code, etc. Universities where you know candidates can come in and take the mock interviews as well before the candidates sit for placement. That's clear, which is probably a bit of a viral marketing tool in itself because those people will be telling everyone about interview, maybe their future employers as well. So that's excellent. Yeah. So yeah, I have to ask, you got the highest offer in the history of Shark Tank India, season yeah. three, which is amazing. So what was Shark Tank like? Well, it was a really different experience. See, I've pitched interview in front of customers, in front of investors in the past. But what differentiated Shark Tank was you were pitching in front of the cameras. You knew whatever you're going to say is going to come out uh, in front of the world. So that was there. So just to tell your brain to not focus there and just focus on the pitch was very important. So it was a good exposure from that perspective. You know, there was a huge panel, so they would bombard you with questions. And, you know, objection handling at that point in time becomes really important because when you're dealing with a panel, at the same point in time, one panel member can influence the other which usually happens and if you don't control the narrative, if you don't objection handle well, the deal can slip out. So that was a good challenge. I got to know how shooting a series actually happens in the background. So it was a pretty good experience from that perspective and how they manage everything. It was really well operationally executed. It was very, very natural and seeing the team coming together was a great experience. (laughs) I'm sure you could have got investment somewhere else. Why did you go on the show? You know, there were two reasons. One was... People who sit on the show to invest, they have their own network. They bring in their own expertise on the table. Second was, of course, the visibility that interview would get, the number of eyes that would be talking yeah. about interview, hands that would be writing about interview after the show <laughs> aired. So was really looking forward to that. So yeah. Yeah, nice. I'm always curious with the Shark Tankers. One of the things is how do you work out what your threshold is, what you will accept and not accept, because they will always be throwing different variations at you, percentages and amounts. So how do you work that out? Do you have a a framework in mind or what do you do? I mean, it's pretty simple. As a company, you have figured out some basics where you know these are the milestones to touch and you know your numbers right. You are certain that this is your rock bottom and you can't go below that. But at the same time, given how, how the show itself is structured, at some point in time, you need to be decisive at runtime because... It's Shark Tank and anything can happen there. And a lot of people bring a lot of value on the table and especially you're on TV. So whatever conversations happen there and, you know, the kind of valuations that they give, you know, it's bound to happen once you're on the show. So you have to be decisive. You have you need to have the ability to think on your toes, but at the same time, you know, keep those numbers at the back of your mind before you take a decision. So And then after the, the show, after a deal is made, what level of support is there from the Sharks themselves? Well, there's a lot of coordination from the team itself. They would... Of course, follow up multiple times. You know, there's a DD that happens and everything. And of course, it's a normal investment. Any investment process that would follow, it was not Shark Tank. Yeah, that's how it is. So back to interview.io, in terms of geographies, where are you aiming? Well, we are right now present in India. We have a little bit of presence in Singapore, Australia, very little in Amsterdam. But I would say the last geography would be US right now, where we have smallest presence. But we are planning to start US full-fledged in March. Our product is prepared already for the U.S. for success. The team is already in place. So we are all set to hit the U.S. market in March. Oh, nice. Can you give us an overview of the launch or the rollout plan for the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly the GDM plan You know, is mostly going to be same as what we did in India. It's largely going to be inbound heavy. I mean, that's what works more in the U.S. We want to make sure, especially, you know, on-demand interviews is compared to the other products in the segment. It's a new category altogether, despite there are competitors. 
it's still a new category a lot of people have not explored it so a lot of content needs to go into educating people we are expecting to roll out a lot of content and then at the same time see who are interested and make an inbound engine out of it got it so inbound marketing content wise and then what may be some trade shows and conferences or is that off the table for now and then Yes, definitely after gaining initial sort of customers, I think HR conferences would be good because HR community in India, even, you know, more in the US is well connected. They work on referrals. So referrals would be the way to go and yeah. connecting people live. So you've learned so much. You've done so much so far. What's your sort of final parting advice to people running HR software companies on how to grow and expand the business? So many products that I've studied in HR, you know, HR tech itself is super fragmented. And yeah. the way HR is a market is if you go sell one sort of a product, if I were to describe in a typical HR spectrum, it starts with sourcing a candidate where your LinkedIn and all your job databases would come in, job boards would come in. And then, you know, your assessment companies and interviewing companies like ours, it will be followed by an ATS where, you know, all the data would be stored. And then ultimately the employee engagement platforms and everything where, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, onboarding. So the segment itself, the whole spectrum itself is super fragmented and there are a bunch of products that exist. The good part is, this is where I think the future is also. There are two types of platforms that can exist and can do really, really well. One platform is who are super focused on only one thing. Second would be platforms who can address multiple parts of the spectrum under the same roof. If they're addressing those parts, they have to make sure that a data layer comes out very nicely. Also taking into consideration typical SaaS principles where, you know, software prices are declining. In early 2000s, whatever softwares were there, now those... We have freemium models for those, right? So the basic versions are getting cheaper, more cost-effective for the customer. People really need to come up with better technology while integrating all those pieces together or, you know, even serving one such use case in depth, either ways. I know of a few technology companies where they attach consulting onto the back of it, maybe because that's the company developed in that way. They start as consulting and turn to tech or vice versa, but I can't see it happening with you guys, but maybe that's an option. I really think it depends on the vision of the company. In our specific case, If we ever have to go consultative with the customer, it's good till you are supporting the customer, till you want to make sure the customer is happy with you. But here's how I'll put it largely. You have to get into more consultative mode if your product is not able to address that depth. Mm -hmm. And that is where I think if you are doing it too much and you want to build a product company, you lack product expertise. If you are doing it too less and you are building a product company, I think you lack customer handling capability so it has to be the right balance but of course if you're building a service-based company no comments on that it's a different ball game there are different parameters involved but for a product-based companies these two principles hold true that's a really interesting insight there so having some level of support but not too far either direction so that you are serving them well Rahul you've shared great insights and I love the story the product sounds amazing I'm sure it has a bright future what can people do to learn more Visit interview.io. It's spelled as I-N-T-E-R-V-U-E dot I-O. And then follow me on LinkedIn. I am really active on LinkedIn. I keep posting about what we are doing. I keep posting about my learnings. I'm very active on Instagram as well now. Uh, Now that Shark Tank is out. So I've started (laughs) to record some reels every now and then to share my learnings about the journey. So I've kept it open. So that's how it is. You've got to look after your fans. I mean, you're a star now. That's fair enough. (laughs) There are no fans. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Excellent. Rahul, thank you very much for sharing your time and all the best for interview.io. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. 
Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.